Christmas is just around the corner, which means it's gift giving crunch time. But don't worry though, friends, we've got you covered. That's right, Melissa. We would love it if all our listeners checked out Thistle Farms because their products are so much more than just gifts. They're a second chance at life for the survivor who made it. Absolutely. Thistle Farms has gifts for everybody on your list. My personal favorites are their candles, room mist, shave gel especially, body lotion, and their leather goods. But they have so much more than I could ever list. And let's remind them about the mission behind these gifts, Melissa. Every product from Thistle Farms supports a woman survivor of trafficking, prostitution, or addiction. Women come to their program and receive two free years of housing, trauma therapy, and healthcare support in addition to a meaningful job making Thistle Farms products by hand. For Christmas this year, go to thistlefarms.org, enter the code where we are at checkout, W-E-A-R-W-E-R, all one word, and receive 15% off your purchase of holiday gifts that give back to the one who made it. What we're going to do right here is go back, way back, back into time. No baby, no baby, no baby. <laughs> you were doing a little robot moves as you did that. <laughs> On this week's episode of Where We Are, we're going to take a look back, way back to 2022 and the political news that was made. This is Where We Are. This is where we are. We are the Where's on Michael. I'm Melissa. Melissa, this is our second date today. We, uh, we usually call our podcast recording our our one date a week. Yeah, right. But uh, thanks to our child's preschool, the blessed preschool that it is, uh, they were holding a fundraiser that involved them watching both of our babies for three hours on a Saturday. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Alaria went to school for the first time and was just a ham and a half. So, y'all, so this baby (laughs) gets handed over to uh, a teacher who we love and just starts crying. And uh, our first kind of experience with that with Alaria. Alaria is crying. The teacher's walking her away. We're, Melissa and I are just standing there watching Ilaria go into the school. And in the middle of her cry, she just goes, bye. And waves. <laughs> and waves. And I then mean, goes back to crying. Just like a total break, smiles, bye, wave, and then back to like crying. But she did great. Yeah, she came out so hyper. As you would say, her cup was, was full. full. Yeah, yeah. Her cup was filled up. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, hope everyone's advent is going well. We're having in the middle of a good weekend and excited to talk to you for this episode. What we figured, and this may change depending on the news, depending on, you know, just like how we're feeling. Mm-hmm. But, um, the vibes. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, 
we decided... Well, so it won't change for this episode. We're no, definitely... We're, we're about to do this episode. The plan that we have... We're definitely going to do this episode. And this is... We're going to focus on political news from 2022. It'll be a look back, but also a bit of like a look ahead. Um, and then next week, there's just been a whole lot of... I mean, this year, um, whether it's the religious data that came out of the UK... Uh, mental health data that's been coming out, learning loss uh, information. We're just going to take kind of a sociological, uh, basically non-political trends look next week, unless we change our mind. Hmm. Uh, But for this episode, we're going to talk about the politics of 2022. It was a significant year in politics, Melissa. Where do you where do you want to start? I don't know. Where would you like to start? We've got foreign affairs, the economy, Congress, uh, Supreme Court. I mean, I think midterms. we'll we'll try and hit all of that. Let Let's talk foreign affairs. All right, foreign first. affairs. <laughs> there was a lot as I sat before this episode. I tried to list out a lot of the big stories and even some of the stories that didn't quite hit huge headlines, but are um. Deeply consequential, not just for the United States, but for some various countries themselves. Um, Well, we obviously have Russia's war on Ukraine. On February 24th of this year, Russia um, began its uh, war in the eastern part of Ukraine, took over many cities. Still to this day, about 8 million Ukrainians are displaced within the country. 8 million, um, one of the largest refugee crises ever. Eight million are out outside of Ukraine. Um, Russia's had to draft up new soldiers over the past couple of months. Um, there have been some scares with NATO, with missiles hitting Poland, or missiles getting quite near, or missiles from Ukraine going into Russia. So we have a couple of episodes um, on this particular war um, from earlier this year in February and again in April. Um, So you can look back at those if you'd like. And it's something that sort of rocked and shocked the world. I think a lot of people forgot that um, major powers could wage major wars. Um, And what we're, I mean, looking ahead on that one, um, I think, I think for the Biden... I mean, just this, over the last 10, 14 days, uh, Ukraine attack within Russia's yes. borders at yes. bases, military yes. bases, so not, not aimed at, at civilians. That's a change. That's a big That's change. A change. That's yeah. a big change in strategy. It remains to be seen exactly how Russia will respond. And it's kind of, um, it's a little bit of a wrench, I think, thrown into the plans of possibly the Biden administration and NATO. If I were either, either entity, um, what I'd be looking for is this winter for tensions to die down simply because it's cold. And war tends to slow down in winter. That's just the, um, that's just something that usually happens. Is with the slowdown and with Putin seeing that Ukraine is now hitting him within his own territory, that they're taking back cities in the south and the east, that Putin will be more ready to come to the table. And then for NATO and Biden, they're going to want to be convincing um, President Zelensky in Ukraine. He has held quite steady that he is not willing to come to the table. Um, until Russia makes um, several concessions and stops um, its fighting, which 
if I were Nader or Biden, I'd be trying to convince him that we will most likely not make it to that point. We just need to actually start talks right now because these various scares in Poland, uh, it's just a matter of time until more more mistakes are made and then NATO has to be meeting on the, the basis of Article 5 and Article 6, which uh, the, within the NATO treaty, it's, it's all about um, members being attacked or how members respond to attacks um, and meetings and how they have to meet to discuss these things. If I were NATO, I'd be wanting you, I'd be trying to convince Ukraine to be coming to the table despite the fact that Russia has not stopped um, the war. And if I were Biden, I'd also want that as well because 2024 is coming up and with all the spending that Congress is having, uh, has had to give to Ukraine, um, hundreds of billions of dollars, which is now uh, a lot of people are calling for a lot of that money to be checked and tracked to see how it's actually been used. If I were Biden, I would sort of want um, this kind of spending and uh this kind of these kinds of risks to sort of be taken off the table if if at all possible yeah um ukraine deserves the whole you know uh they they can't afford and it would not be wise to um, sort of uh to end the conflict without commitments from Russia that they won't just sort of rebuild their military Mm -hmm. and do this again in three years. Mm -hmm. And so I do think some, um, if, if NATO, if the U S wants to, uh, see the end of this conflict, Ukraine deserves, um, Ukraine deserves, uh, solid uh, you know as solid as possible assurances that they won't be back in this one way of doing that would be uh for an agreement to be reached and then to admit ukraine into nato Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know uh, that that would probably be a pretty pretty decent assurance for for ukraine Mm -hmm. uh and so we'll see how that that develops um you know, the, I think one of the big developments that flowed out of this in 2022, and I don't think we could break down everything that we have or else this will be a two-hour-long episode, but just one thing I want to say about um, is that we saw kind of the surprising uh, reemergence of NATO mm-hmm. and surprising um, revitalization of of NATO, of the Transatlantic Alliance, and of, of um, you know, European, European leadership, particularly uh, when it comes to military, uh, and specifically in, in, in Germany. We saw Germany make some pretty surprising decisions. Yeah, for Germany to rearm, that's yeah. just, and so, it hasn't happened since World War II. You know, that will have significant consequences. Melissa, talk to us about the U.K., yeah, the UK. Well, we all know that um, the Queen died this year. We have a new king in the UK, King Charles. Um, and with the loss of the Queen, I talked about it on a previous podcast, they lost a huge cultural pillar in that country. But also during that, you know, a couple months before, Prime Minister Boris Johnson lost confidence. And so he left the prime, uh, the premiership. And Liz Truss was agreed upon by the Conservative Party, the Tories. She came in. She lasted about 45 days. 
um, because of an economic policy she had promised during her small campaign that and uh, when she when she put on an economic budget it completely tanked was mocked because the UK um, economically was already suffering quite a bit and then her economic plan um, was said to plunge the UK into a huge recession. Now here's the thing, the UK is already in a recession. Um, the UK is not doing well economically. They're having an energy crisis as well. And now they have a brand new prime minister, Rishi Sunak, who is a bit more to the center when it comes to um, t- the typical Tory leadership of the last um, about uh, 10 years. So watching the UK and watching um, Prime Minister Sunak, what he does, if he's able to help the Tories recover in terms of their image, if he's able to get the UK out of this economic slump quickly, um, how much suffering there will be. (laughs) Yeah, I would say that this song is a perfect representation of the UK right now. Three prime ministers in In 2022. In three months. Three prime ministers. I mean, just wild. Two, uh, what, what would you, uh, what would you call, um, two monarchies? Two, yeah, two, two monarchies. Yeah, two, uh, uh, yeah, wow, what a year. Yeah, the UK is for on a little bit of a the wild UK, pendulum. Especially, you know, what a, really a decade where... UK, which could have been this sort of pillar of strength uh-huh. and consistency in Europe. And obviously now we know, you know, light of, you know, Russia's invasion of Ukraine in light of uh, turbulence politically in the United States. And instead, Brexit started this whole chain reaction this that has happens that has brought the European Union. that has brought UK to, to to this to this point pretty much to its knees i mean it's it's uh yeah no it's it's been quite a 2022 and really quite a quite a last decade for oh. uh for the UK that and, is right uh, you know uh, i'm uh, we'll see how Sunak does I think the main thing looking ahead is we've had now, right, Melissa, over a, has it been over a decade of Tory leadership? Yes, because you had Cameron who stepped down in uh, 2013 or 14, if I remember correctly. Or is that when he came into power? And I think he stepped down in 2016. Yes, because of after Brexit. Sorry. My- <laughs> <laughs> that was a whole journey you took our <laughs> listeners on, Melissa. Uh, I was thinking of when he came in, which was 2016. Yeah, so, so, and then he <laughs> left in 2016 because of Brexit. So it's been... Look. <laughs> I'm an encyclopedia of British knowledge. Yeah, so it's been you know a decade of Tory leadership. Labor fell to pieces during the Corbyn era. But now, heading into 2023... I think that there's um, UK politics could be in for at least the beginning of change. Maybe it comes from Labour. Maybe it comes from Lib Dems. Um, maybe there's something even more unexpected on on the horizon, like a Scottish referendum. Yeah. Oh, do not. Uh, I mean, I think some of our friends over there would say. Uh, you know, knock, knock on, knock on wood <laughs> on that. 
Yeah. Melissa, what what else? Uh, a kind of a quick wrap up. Obviously, these yes. are big big things that uh, we've talked gonna... about in previous episodes. We'll talk about in future episodes, but just. Kind of as you think about 2022, what have been the big foreign affairs flashpoints? Yeah, so some more flashpoints. Um, North Korea has launched, it's said, around 85 missiles this year on November 2nd alone. So last month, they launched anywhere from 23 to 25 missiles. And they've launched an intercontinental ballistic missile, an ICBM, that could potentially reach the U.S. mainland. Um, So not just Hawaii. And so uh, how much longer is North Korea going to be allowed to test this many missiles is my big question. Then in Iran, which has been ongoing for a couple months now, have been these huge protests for the, for the um, murder of Masa Amini, um, a woman who um, was killed by their, their morality police. Um, those protests continue. Um, I, Iran has been, you know, for about a economically has not been doing well because of all the sanctions, the leadership there. Um, you imagine that this has actually weakened the leadership a lot. And so it will remain to be seen in terms of what happens to leadership um, there. Um, in China, um, the COVID lockdowns throughout this year, because China has a very strict no COVID policy, these latest lockdowns, because um, COVID was discovered in the country about a month, six weeks ago, and the lockdowns persisted again and the lockdowns last time earlier this year were just so draconian that it's caused protests across the country which protesting in china is just usually not a thing um the government is very strict um usually that there can't be that kind of movement of the people so this is this is right melissa this is the thing about having a quasi-democratic uh you know system of election you know typically when when a government is extended for another term and inaugurates that next term, which they did for uh, another five which years, which they did President for another Xi. five years, uh, that is a consolidation of power. Mm-hmm. But it turns out when your elections are basically a sham, that uh, when you announce a new term and then use that. Uh, kind of fake political capital, um, certainly not not democratic political capital, to tighten the reins even further. Um, people will react to that, <laughs> and and so that it, it's it's just been uh, interesting to me. The headlines, you know, uh, when when uh, the Chinese Communist Party met and Z was extended for another another term, uh, the headlines were. You know he has all of his guys in now. Mm-hmm. You know it's it's he's he's really uh, he's he's really tightened his grip on power, and you know uh, China has a lot of ways to the Chinese government has a lot of ways to maintain control, uh, and so I don't want to suggest that Z's um, uh, presidency is sort of at risk, but it certainly seems to me to be the most precarious it's been. Uh, and this is after he just, just uh, you know, had that show of strength. So yeah, I, I think just, that's been interesting. Yeah, just to round this out, uh, you know, when Ukraine happened for the first couple months and continuing, there's been a risk that China would see what Russia has been doing and would um, finally decide to invade Taiwan, which it thinks it has a right to. And with these protests, I think that that weakens 
the pro the prospects for Z to want to make a move like that at a time like this. But we'll continue to watch Taiwan, and that's been a sort of something that's been on the precipice for the entire year of 2022. In Ethiopia, there's been a civil war known as the Tigray War that has been going on since 2020. But this year, there was a ceasefire from March to August, and then the war re-escalated again in August. And just last month, um, on November 3rd, there was a rapprochement. And so uh, Ethiopia will hopefully continue to experience at least a bit of peace now that this war has been going on for a couple of years and has devastated the country quite a bit. In Haiti, um, the UN humanitarian chief thinks now that around 60% of Haiti's capital is dominated by gangs um, who are causing violence, um, sexual assaults. Um, the, the, the violence there has just been quite shocking. And so from a humanitarian standpoint, a lot of countries like the United States are trying to figure out what they could possibly do with this gang takeover in the country. Uh, in Brazil, one of the big headlines this year was that the president Bolsonaro lost his election. He was a major far-right leader and at a time where a lot of the headlines are this authoritarian takeover around the world, Bolsonaro has been one of the poster child for 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 that um, for that idea, and he lost his election this year. So uh, a far right leader lost an election in a major major country like Brazil, and then. The COP27 this year, there was a major agreement. So in terms of climate change, if you follow this at all, uh, a lot of the uh, the biggest countries in the world agreed to a loss and damage fund for vulnerable countries that have been hit the most by climate change because of the production and the policies from larger countries. So that was actually a huge agreement during the COP27 just a, just a few weeks ago that uh, didn't really hit the headlines too much, but was just a major development. And finally, Benjamin Netanyahu is back in power in Israel. Yeah, thanks, Melissa. So that's just uh, some of the foreign affairs news that not just define 2022, but uh, will shape what comes uh, in 2023 and beyond. Uh, I will say one one election you left out of your recap that we did talk about on a previous show is um, the new leader in Italy. Oh, and so, right. yes, Georgia also, Maloney. Yes, Georgia Maloney. And uh, it's been interestingly, you know, kind of quiet since all the hubbub over her election mm -hmm. and concerns being raised. It's been, I, I haven't. Um, Italy hasn't been in sort of headline news, at least on, on the on the state side, in in quite some time. So, so that's interesting. But all right, Melissa, let's move let's move domestically. We had national elections in 2022. We had major Supreme Court changes and cases, uh, and obviously uh, the economy. And changes in the economy uh, uh, made made a, a big difference in 2022. Maybe let's start there. 2022 was the year of inflation. That's right. And inflation that was hot and stayed hot. And, you know, it dictated so much of the first 
you know, six months of the year. It was a top issue of concern during the midterms. We saw the Fed make pretty uh, take pretty drastic steps that probably aren't over mm-hmm. to try no, and to, to raise interest rates and try and try and cool down the economy a bit. Uh, there were some signs of economic recession, but I don't know about you, Melissa, but I'm starting to hear from some analysts confidence about 2023 in the sense that we may have evaded a serious recession. And I'm interested in your opinion there, just to sort of add add to that, it was a kind of weird economic year. Yes, we saw inflation. It hit Americans' pocketbooks. We also saw uh, wages rise. Mm-hmm. We saw unemployment plummet. We saw and relatively strong, healthy so. job creation. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I, I um, uh, significant changes in the housing market. I think that's something I'm keeping my eye on in 2023. Sort of where does the housing market go? Uh, is there a federal sort of policy intervention on the horizon, not next year, but um, in the next five to 10 years, given all of the changes in the in the housing market. Uh, but M- M- Melissa, how do you view the economy of 2022? Mm-hmm. And how, how do you how do you think the American economy is set up for for 23? You know, this is a show about politics, you know, so, you know, specifically uh, as we head into a period where uh, President Biden's going to be making a decision about whether to officially announce he'll run again. Mm-hmm. And, and Republicans mm-hmm. are going to be making determinations based on, you know, how weak uh, the Biden economy might look mm-hmm. in uh, in 2024. So, yeah, any any other thoughts on the economy? Yeah, what you're what you talked about at the beginning of your remarks, where this idea that inflation remained hot until about last month, um, last month, and by last month I mean October, the last month's um, inflation report, inflation was seven point seven percent, which was down from around eight point two percent, and it's been hanging around eight point two to eight point four um, for every single month for the entire year of twenty twenty two. And so with that downgrade in, in inflation and the fact that we actually haven't hit a full-blown recession at all, that's what they call the Goldilocks scenario, that it's just right. And so the Fed right now, this month, December, we will see the November inflation report very soon. And I think that this will be the most consequential inflation report of the entire year. Because the Fed right now, where they're stuck, is they see this Goldilocks scenario is within their grasp. But the labor market is so strong right now, and they need to see, is inflation going to continue to decrease? You know, maybe, you know, with October being 7.7, maybe November's will be, you know, 7.3, 7.1. And if I were the Fed at that point watching the labor market, I might say, we're going to skip the next rate hike for now, but we'll call a meeting in case... The December report, which will come out in January, shows that the labor market being too strong, uh, you know, technically too strong for, for their taste, most likely, 
that they will then go do another small rate hike to try to get the labor market to stop being so hot as well. Um, just because with the labor market being strong, that does not help inflation go down usually. But again, Goldilocks scenarios means that these things can all be true at once and can exist at one point in time for, you know, economists, like I don't have an economics degree, uh, uh, but that's what some of these analysts are looking at. And so for me, with uh, the predictions for 2023, I think that this uh, November report released in a week or two, I think it is, will be hugely consequential. And it will be cons- it will continue to be consequential for the Biden administration in terms of um, his deciding to run, like you said, and then for Republicans, especially because these midterms, while inflation was listed as a huge issue, especially for conservative voters, uh, it shows that despite all that, the, the Democrats it didn't, it, win them it didn't swing actually voters. win yeah. them swing voters, which is unusual. Yes, it is un- very unusual. So if I were Republicans, um, I'd be looking at this Goldilocks scenario, or if inflation goes back up and the labor market does cause inflation to sort of go back up or stay really high and the Fed has to raise interest rates and the poorest continue to feel um, inflation the most, which studies are showing that, you know, uh, who would have thought inflation is affecting the poorest the most and those who are well off. That's why, you know, spending is still quite good and Black Friday was so successful. It's because those who... Um, tend to have more disposable income, the wealthier, the upper middle class to wealthy are spending just as they always have. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'll end end there. Yeah. No, that's good. Uh, But we weren't just getting uh, uh, sort of the events weren't just acting on us. Uh, Congress was acting as well and policymakers were acting as well. Mm -hmm. We saw significant legislation and uh, various policy actions taken in 2022. Uh, first major gun reform legislation. That's right. Passed. Uh, it was signed by Biden in, in June. In decades, yeah. Uh, signed by Biden. Didn't include everything everybody no. wanted, but it was a, a bipartisan uh, legislation that was signed uh, that uh, beefed up background checks. Yep. Clo- it closed the so-called boyfriend loophole. And it tried to incentivize states to pass more red flag laws. Yes, right. So I think that was a a good thing to see. Obviously, that was in response to we had a year of of more shootings. Mm-hmm. Uvalde and, and Buffalo. Yep, Uvalde, were the, were the big Buffalo, well, and and we've just seen yes a, a, a rash of shootings just in the last several several months here, uh, and so. Um, but I think it was good for the country to see, even though, you know, I do think there's this sense of not just on the gun issue, but on a number of issues. Like it took, I think, and maybe we'll talk about this in a future episode. We don't have time to, to really talk about it here, but sort of this idea that it took that much to happen in terms of current events it took that much to happen in terms of sort of civic involvement and protest uh and sort of what comes out uh ends up you know not being satisfactory to everyone mm-hmm. so i think that's that's um that that's a dynamic uh for sure 
but the gun reform legislation wasn't the most significant legislation passed this year in August. Uh, huge climate health care bill. Uh, we won't sort of go, uh, we won't relive all the maneuvering that took place oh my to, gosh. to yeah, get this bill passed. This bill but, was eventually the final piece of President Biden's, his domestic agenda. So build back better. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we have the infrastructure bill and we had like the big uh, BBB bill that if you've been a subscriber at reclaiminghope.substack.com, we talked about BBB for months, all of the machinations that went into that. And so this bill... And then it looked dead, and then it was... It was alive. It was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, you, you know, I think the major pieces of this bill uh, one big ACA subsidies. Yes. Uh, that, that sort of... Uh, beef up the ACA uh, prescription uh, drug expand costs. access to health care particularly for lower income folks prescription drug changes yeah, for Medicare recipients and then what and did then, the climate change so it's yeah. it was the most substantial federal investment in history um, for fighting climate change so uh, 375 billion over um, uh, the next decade yeah so it's gonna be interesting Um with this legislation, with the infrastructure bill, you you got the sense, um, you get the sense that President Biden's being a little more forceful, telling a story of achievement yes. with his administration. It'll be interesting to see how that case builds over the year. Obviously, they're hoping to have a productive, uh, productive you know session in Congress coming up. But it'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, so many of the big legislative achieve, achievements that Democrats had in the last session of, of Congress, and in, in, well, in the one we're concluding now, was uh, big investments now that kind of show up over the course of a decade, not mm-hmm. sort of, uh, you know, the next month. Yes, uh, that's right. And so... So uh, significant legislation passed. Obviously, other other pieces of legislation moved, but but those those were the big pieces. We've talked quite a bit on this show, and you all um, uh, have been following with us and seem to be really engaged in the student loan uh, uh, announcement from the Biden administration. Now it's it. Uh, you know, in the courts. Yeah, it's in the Supreme Court's hands. It will be, um, the Supreme Court will look at it in February of 2023. Yeah, and Melissa, look, so just to remind folks, and, and you know, the the record's all there. We've sort of talked about this. I, um, I think the most likely scenario is that uh, this policy is stopped and... The courts are blamed, mm-hmm. and uh, a Democratic House passes some kind of. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, uh, a, um, a Democratic Senate yes uh, moves forward some kind of student loan mm-hmm. package that d- can't get enough support in the House, and so it becomes a political thing, and we're, we head into another. Uh, another election where Democrats 
are asking young people to turn out for something to happen down the road. I've said on this podcast before, um, I don't think Democrats should be left off the hook that easily. Now, how it shows up at the ba- at, at the ballot box is another thing. Young voters only have two choices. Republican Party isn't making a, a huge uh, appeal to, to young voters. Um, but I just think... I just think there has to be a uh, there has to be a political cost. There has to be accountability for um, y- you got people who are planning who were planning their lives around mm-hmm. this debt cancellation. Yep. And when it was announced, it wasn't like and th- there's a reason for this. Like right, they don't want to show weakness, but but the way it was conveyed to the American people was not. We're going to try this and see what the courts think. It was, this is a done deal. Apply now. <laughs> you know, like this is ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, if 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 they're not able to move forward with this policy for whatever reason, um, you know, I, I just I just think um, I just think it was a big mistake to make an announcement the way you did. I, I, I just um, I think. There, there's an argument that canceling debt like that outright sort of leads to a, and we don't need to relitigate this debate now, Melissa. We Folks can listen back to the episode where uh, Melissa disagrees with me pretty, pretty strongly here, but I think canceling debt has the risk of uh, ethereal-ethereal-izing uh, sort of, sort of uh, a debt and and sort of uh, the social contract, like generally, um, mm-hmm. you know, it has that potential effect. But then to see uh, the the action to cancel the debt get taken out by some political process mm-hmm. almost doubles down on that, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, I, I think it's going to be one of the big stories of 2023. Yeah. Uh, how the course that this student loan cancellation policy uh, takes and it's going to be um, it, it could be it could be a defining debate for 23. Yeah, I think it could be, especially because of 2024 coming up. If the Supreme Court does take this down, then I can see the Biden administration. Um, I mean, specifically the Biden campaign going back to the drawing board for 2024 and thinking about we lost this. Is there another way for us to go at this that would be less risky with the courts that we know that we could get through better, such as like, you know, uh, interest rates on loans, Um, back paying interest rates, um, putting the federal interest rate at like 0.5% so that it could pay just for how much it costs to just keep up the system that I could totally see the Biden administration um, announcing another, you know, sort of executive order that um, we're going to back pay interest rates on these loans because their team has hopefully done their due diligence much better than last time to say, you know, this will be foolproof with um, with uh, court challenges. But I mean, and the, look, and look, like maybe it does go through, and then and then, it and then the Biden administration. I mean. We've talked on this show. Like, I was really impressed with how they rolled out the application, how smooth it was. Like, if this goes through, then, I mean, you may disagree with the policy, but in terms of the execution, in terms of, like, what they were trying to achieve on a policy level and on a political level, you know, you get high marks if 
<laughs> if debt gets canceled, if debt doesn't get canceled, then we're dealing with a dealing with a different scenario. I will say, um, not sure a supreme you know a Supreme Court that's worried about legitimacy. Um, mm-hmm. I'd be interested to see the legitimacy numbers uh, of a Supreme Court <laughs> that uh, essentially. Takes ten to twenty thousand dollars away yeah, from like like money. Gen Z. <laughs> yeah, 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 taking yeah. money from young people. <laughs> yeah, pockets. yeah, yeah. I would exactly. Love to see it happen. I mean, really, uh-huh. really. Uh, so, so maybe the Supreme Court just says, uh, you know, I don't think it's necessarily a foregone conclusion uh, how the Supreme Court acts here. Remember, it was Republicans and conservatives that for. Uh, uh, on the legal side that expanded the power of the executive in significant ways. And so it'll be interesting to see how the legal theory sort of plays out, mm-hmm. plays out there. Um, all right, Melissa, uh, Supreme, speaking of Supreme Court, uh, new justice on the Supreme Court. Yeah, Katanji Brown-Jackson. Katanji Brown-Jackson, first black female That's right. to serve on the Supreme Court. She started hearing cases uh, this fall. That's right. And, um, uh, but there were no really significant Supreme Court cases in 2022, so we can move on. Uh, next, <laughs> uh, no, yeah, so we've talked enough about Dobbs on oh, this. We've talked so much about Dobbs. But it is, um, it, it, here's, here's, well, first, let me, let me say a couple things. Um, the policy ramp, or the, the sort of, the, the consequences of Dobbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have seen drastic drops in the number of abortions in states that were, because of Dobbs, able to enact more uh, restrictive abortion laws. Uh, what potentially offsets that is that we have seen evidence that um, many of the uh, sort of estimate abortion, estimated abortions, so, uh, you know, based on the months leading up to Dobbs, you kind of have an estimate of how many ab- abortions there would have been had Dobbs not been enacted and had these state laws, new state laws, not been enacted. Um, or, just to be specific, state laws that were on the books already, so not new state laws, but newly enacted state laws. Um, uh, so we have we have seen drops in estimated abortions within some states. We've also seen rises in other states. And so one of the key sort of policy questions here is, has this just been uh, uh, how many... Uh, how many abortions have actually not taken place? Or have they just moved to other states or to other means? Uh, has um, the abortion pill uh, been uh, used uh, to uh, to replace, you know, replace the the abortions that would have taken place otherwise? And so, um, uh, th- through through sort of th- through other means. And so, you know, so on the, on the practical level, I think 
we still don't have a great sense of just what the impact on the number of abortions has been because of Dobbs. Uh, we do have limited evidence up to this point about uh, ways in which it's complicated healthcare systems and protocols, uh, uh, and we have we have. Uh, evidence that there have been some some some, some cases that have um, uh, uh, where uh, people who would have uh, accessed abortion on, before Dobbs were not able to, and there's been public debate about some of those cases. And so this is this is not uh, a done. Uh, this debate is sort of not over. I think 2023 we're going to see, particularly now. Democrats picked up uh, uh, governor mansions. Um, they picked up some state legislatures. So we'll see the continued Democratic response to Dobbs. And then the midterms, I think, um, I think it's incontrovertible uh, sort of evidence that abortion politics has fundamentally changed. And as we talked about earlier around the economy, you would have thought with some of the economic metrics, with inflation, that swing voters would have gone for the party not in power. It seems pretty clear on a national level that abortion dictated, uh, that, uh, that Dobbs and the response led many swing voters and led um, to, to support Democrats. And, and actually that issue was central to Democrats uh, not uh, performing better than expected. What lessons both parties take from that, I'll tell you the talk in democratic circles is this, you know, it, after election, after election, after election, where all the big promises around, oh, if we just sort of make a case around pro-choice stuff, we'll win, and, you know, losing, uh, there's a lot of energy on the left now to say this proves that we could, that Democrats can sort of ride that issue to to victory. And so I, I think that you're going to see an even more aggressive posture from Democrats moving forward. Republicans, on the other hand, Susan B. Anthony lists, pro-life advocates are saying the election results show that if Republicans aren't on the on a forward foot, if they aren't confident on this issue, they'll lose. Others are saying this shows that Republicans uh, that a pro-life position is just a political loser, and Republicans need to moderate on the abortion issue. That will be a debate to watch. D is McCarthy, is Speaker McCarthy, or whoever the the Speaker of the House is, um, are they? Forced, or do they want to take a vote on pro-life legislation post Dobbs, or does national Republican leadership try and uh, try and ignore the issue and try uh, to to sort of move on? So that that uh, that will be uh, that will be significant. Melissa, we've mentioned like the midterms a bunch of times uh, just through the course of like reviewing mm -hmm. everything. Uh, we are we are heading into a year where we'll see a, a Democratic Senate, uh, 
50 votes mm-hmm. solid now because Senator Kristen, uh, Kirsten Cinema has said that she will caucus, that she has switched her party ID to independent, but Democrats will have control uh, of the Senate unless something something else happens, mansion flips or something. Um uh, but Republicans will have control of the House. We'll see. We'll see what the leadership there uh, looks like. Uh, what What do you see um, as fallout from the midterms heading into twenty twenty three? Any Anything we we haven't discussed yet? One of the things that I'll be watching. We have a great episode um, with Shadi Hamid um, on democracy, and democracy was very much something that was talked about being on the ballot. Um, and for some analysts, like, you know, we would argue, you know, in at least a consequential way, maybe not the most consequential, consequential way, one of the reasons why Republicans uh, didn't gain back the Senate and only gained back the House by um, not too many seats is that um, not just candidate quality, but also what those candidates, uh, a lot of the candidates, especially at the state level as well, about, you know, uh, Election denial, yeah, or it, it, not shooting down turn, the election yeah, deniers. It, it um, turns out uh, that defaming uh, and sort of denigrating our election process uh, isn't such a good strategy for folks running for election. No, it's not. <laughs> um, amazing how how that works. Yeah. Uh, so I'll be watching um, this democracy conversation, how it evolves now from this point for twenty twenty four. Yeah. Um, whether or not. Uh, Democrats feel like it's something that they continue to feed on if um, the Republicans decide that clearly that was not a winning strategy, that we need to drop this, um, let it go to the wayside so that Democrats don't actually aren't gaining more ammunition for it. Um, so I'll be watching that for 2024 and when I, I, some, a fallout from midterms that we just have not talked about yet yeah. um, for this episode. And then the one final big story for politics of this past year has been a couple things that are connected. Political violence, especially after January 6th and the January 6th committee and the fallout from that. January 6th committee on the House side has met throughout the year and has televised some of its hearings. And those televised hearings seem to be quite effective with moving polling on how people viewed the committee, how people viewed the committee's, um, the arguments that they were actually putting out there. Um, and we will see that committee report, the big, big thousand-page committee report, um, this month. I, I think probably in like the next week or two, um, from what we've been promised. But you know, before um, the holidays really hit, and so we know that most likely that the report will focus on President Trump, and President Trump has faced a lot of legal troubles this year, various um, uh, lawsuits. Uh, you know, one from the uh, the AG in New York. Uh, there's that case, and then the Trump Organization itself. A ruling was just passed down for the for the organization, not for the president himself, but the Trump Organization. What was it that they found, Michael? Oh, gosh, I mean, I mean, basically like corruption. Corruption yes. causes and well, so it was uh, they they were paying the the principal charge was wrapped up with how they were compensating employees off book mm-hmm. basically yes. with all kinds of various perks right. and and off book sort of compensation yeah right and then we've got the mar-a-lago um classified papers that were found at um at that 
you know, a place where President Trump obviously is uh, found located a lot. Um, so we have Trump has been facing a lot of legal issues. We'll have to see how this actually turns out, this January 6th committee report. But the committee this year was consequential, not just because of the subject matter, but actually I think how the committee was conducted. Um, I think it could change future major inquiry type committees um, in terms of how it's presented to the American people and how they make arguments to the American people with those public hearings that were televised in prime time. Uh, and then with political violence, like I started with, you know, we saw, you know, uh, Sp- Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, her husband was attacked in their uh, their San Francisco home and the consequences falling out from that in terms of a lot of the talk over the past several years has been if you have violent rhetoric, won't it lead to actually violent means? And we see this in a, a lot of different areas of life in, in the United States, but from a political violence perspective, it's something that I think was notable for 2022. Yeah, sure. And something that will continue to possibly rear its ugly head as polarization remains at an all-time high. Now, these midterms show that potentially, maybe, polarization is easing maybe a little bit. Yeah. That obviously remains to be seen. And what you know we'll be looking ahead to in 2023 is do we see a real tangible decrease in polarization in the United States, which then would ease my worries about uh, rising political violence. Yeah, no, no, that, that, uh, I agree. That absolutely belongs in, in a year review, Melissa. Um, just to, I mean, so, so that's sort of our look back. And, and as we've done that, we've, we've looked ahead, uh, on, on quite a few of these items, uh, Melissa, Obviously, we have a presidential campaign now. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, pretty far on the horizon, uh, but for many, I'm sure not far enough. Not far enough for me, Michael. Um, but you know, we're, we're going to see. I think, particularly on the Republican side, early in 2023, some some real uh, activity. I mean, obviously, yeah. Trump has already announced. Uh, Pence seems to be gearing up uh, yeah. for an announcement, although, I don't know, maybe I have a wrong read on this, but I don't see anyone, well, I shouldn't say anyone, but you you watch his answers about Trump, his views on Trump today, would he vote for Trump in the future, and it's just like, gosh, for the all the ways in which he presents himself as being this man of principle. Just like, frankly, weasel words. I mean, and I I say that in comparison to Mitt Romney, uh, who just categorical, not showy, just says like normal, the normal logic of of what, like you make one... uh, you make one decision, one assessment, and Mitt Romney then is asked the question that would follow from that assessment, and he says what would logically follow, whereas Mike Pence uh, seems to uh, be uh, very much judging his 
determining his answers to these questions by like some detailed analysis of his pathway to the presidency. Like how many Trump voters can I, can I, uh, can I have what line can I cross to keep Trump voters? But what line, what do I need to say against Trump to win enough sort of folks in the center? I mean, it's like pathetic. Um, And I don't see him. um, I think there are people with less complicated relationships with Trump, particularly if Trump is uh, still running in 2024. I just don't see Mike Pence having the, having the, having the runway. Yeah, his answers scream poll tested at me, meaning that his his internal it's gross. His, it really is. Meaning gross. his internal polling is so complicated that it's extremely difficult for him to thread the needle, and yes. so that's why it comes off as very mealy mouth, disingenuous, weaselly, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I think it's just obvious to the normal, like the the average person. This is someone who knew very early on that Donald Trump was uh, not a good man. Uh, was going to need to be um, uh, sort of worked against in critical ways. And there's a lot of reporting about the the ways in which Mike Pence tried to redirect sort of the policy process and decision-making processes in the way. But he stayed on because he wanted to be president. <laughs> and and like the I, I think that for the average you don't need to follow all the inside baseball but I think people know a sycophant when they see one <laughs> you know I think people yeah. know I think people know someone who was willing to um, was was willing to uh, take a lot and work against their conscience uh because they thought it would get them somewhere, and I, I just don't think, don't think that's gonna fly. But that's why that's why Pence is doing this whole press tour. You know, they're gonna they're gonna take all the tough questions now, and then they'll assess, they'll assess how how where they stand, and make a decision based on that. So politically, I think it's really wise for him to have this, uh, have the book to be doing all these interviews, so that. When he announces, if he announces, the media is kind of like, well, we already covered, to a certain extent, kind of we already asked the the toughest questions about January 6th, about what, you know, what he really thinks about Trump. And so, so that'll be an interesting campaign, uh, campaign to watch. Obviously, former vice president, you know, I, I don't necessarily see how he has a lane, but, but you can't count out, uh, uh, former vice president. Melissa, anything else uh, you want to you wanna look ahead to in 2023 uh, politically? Well, we'll be having some Supreme Court decisions, which I think will be quite cons- consequential. Um, and then on the legislative side, I mean, there there's a few different areas. There's like Im- immigration reform, immigration legislation. It's been really quiet on that front. And then, well, obviously, there have been many things on Congress's plate and on the, the administration's plate. But it's but, just starting to pick up. But I'm it's just start- starting to hear some yep. new talk about immigration. And I and I can see 2023 being the year where the administration decides 
you know, we're in that sweet spot right before really campaigning really gets going. And this could be another win for them, especially because immigration reform, kind of like infrastructure, immigration reform is another really, really tough piece of legislation to get passed. Yeah. Um, I could see... I could see some more climate change legislation coming down the pike, especially if we continue to get some dire numbers and um, the results of the COP27 with that with that fund. I could see some climate legislation coming to the fore again because of the 2023 sweet spot before 2024 really hits ahead. And then um, uh, one of the other sort of groupings of legislation that could happen would be in family policy. Will the expanded child tax credit come back? Pregnancy discrimination, paid parental leave, uh, universal pre-K, all these types of things that we're going to go into the Build Back I Better mean, bill. I'll stop you there. We uh, With the Republican House, uh, universal pre-K is probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably not going to no, happen. No, but I'm talking about them other, going after at least in the Senate. Pot- I mean, yeah, potentially. I mean, so so that that is going to be one of the key dynamics. Do we have... A house that tries to put difficult votes in front of a Democratic Senate? Do we have a Democratic Senate that tries to put difficult votes in front of the House? Or uh, is that kind of maneuvering limited and uh, are sort of sites narrowed to areas where there could potentially be Agreement now. Obviously, we'll see some, some of, some of each. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely see, uh, uh, you know, uh, McCarthy or whoever is speaker call votes that they know won't pass in the Senate, and vice versa. But that'll be a really interesting dynamic to see moving forward. And yeah, I do think that there, there are some possibilities in the family policy uh, area. It'll be interesting to see if. If Romney is able to, if there's sort of, um, uh, if they make another run at, at uh, if, if Romney's child tax credit family security plan gets another gets another go, and if that's more palatable for a Republican House, uh, or at least for 20, 30 votes uh, in, in the Republican House. But again, you face a problem in the House. Votes don't necessarily, uh, you know, need to be uh, need to be called if the speaker doesn't want them to be called, and so it's it's uh, we're we're going to see how, how these dynamics work out. So uh, that's that's your uh, that's a look back at 2022. Look ahead to some of the key dynamics we see uh, for 2023. Uh, it's been so wonderful to uh, be doing this podcast we we're almost at uh, 52 episodes i think it's probably been we should probably get the exact date and mm-hmm. celebrate but but we're just about at a year of doing this that's right this podcast and uh and it's been it's been a real joy so thank you to our listeners as always you could visit reclaiminghope.substack.com uh, to subscribe to our newsletter and uh, share and rate this podcast. Uh, but thanks thanks for listening. Uh, we're eager to hear what you're looking ahead to in politics for 2023. Uh, do uh, write us uh, with your thoughts. We may share them on uh, a forthcoming episode. Melissa, anything to uh, wrap up the episode? Go Bills.
Go Bills. Got a big game against the Jets uh, on uh, uh, this weekend. And, you know, if, if we win, if we beat the Jets, then I think we got the AFC East pretty pretty locked up. And so to close this episode with what I'm most looking forward to in 2023, it's a Bills Super Bowl. Yeah, our Super Bowl win. Super Bowl win. I mean, I, yeah, that's implied. Well, I mean, just making it to the Super Bowl would be very fun. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, friends. Thanks for listening. This has been Where We Are. Bye.